on this week's episode of the podcast. We are back and we are talking about one of the most famous soccer players to ever play, but it's probably not the person you think it will be. I am so ready. Yo, you better be ready. Hold on to your butts, because if you don't, this soccer player probably will. This is Deadball Brothers. Welcome once again, everybody. Welcome back to Deadball Brothers, a weekly podcast about soccer and history with a healthy, healthy dose of stupidity. Part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network with your lovely host, me, your most favorite freelance American soccer writer, Adam Whitaker Snavely, joined as always by my real life brother, Drew Snavely. Um, supporter of the second best team in the English Premier League. Ooh, yeah. Second best. I'm sure <laughs> that's exactly best, I'm sure that's exactly what you want to tell everybody. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a shame that we didn't record any episodes while United were at the top of the table. It's uh, been truly. an eventful, it's been an eventful um month since we've been gone. I mean Manchester United managed to make it to sole position, uh, sole top position of the Premier League and have since blown it uh, to our neighbors, Manchester City. But, well, you know, you know such is life. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Ask me if I'm, if I'm happy to be here. Are you I'm happy? happy to, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy okay. that we're in this position. So I so I didn't even need to ask you. Like, no, oh. yeah, I was ready to. I was just ready to say. You were, Frank you were so ready. Got sacked. Yes, he did. Thomas Tuchel came in to replace my, him. My boy Tommy Tukes. Tommy Tukes hates Christian Pulisic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely a Christian Pulisic hater. Obviously, clearly. <laughs> He hates if you look so at much. if you look at his track record, where he totally has never coached Christian Pulisic before, I can just <laughs> firmly say that he hates Christian Pulisic and all of America. <laughs> oh man, he loves Germans so much. It's messed he up. Loves loves them Germans. <laughs> Drew, Drew, it has been a minute since we have been talking to the people, to our our folks, our fans out there. But you know what? That's okay. We're uh, we're back. We are recharged. We are reset. We are ready to go. Uh, it has been a little bit of an eventful hiatus in terms of the soccer world, uh, in terms of WTFPL two. Uh, everything is everything is popping off. Uh, but you know what? Uh, I think that the the little the little rest and uh, recuperation after the twelve days of dead ball was good for us. And I'm uh, I don't know about you, but I'm uh, I'm raring to go. Yeah, it was a it was a really nice break. I turned twenty six, got Ooh. kicked off our parents' insurance. That's so, what I'm talking about. I mean, it was a nice, nice American break. The, uh, the modern rite of passage is getting kicked <laughs> off your parents' health insurance. Oh, uh, absolutely. I and I am right there with you. I am so ready for. I guess we're calling this the second season. Um, season two. Season two. Which the if this is season two, then all the episodes that we recorded up until then was season one. And that was like 74 episodes. So well, it's a okay. Pretty, pretty ambitious uh, first season. 
I will I will say that I, I feel like we can call pre-Blue Wire slash all of the like figuring out episodes where we we did a bunch of like modern football talk for a while and there was a bunch of things uh, things that we switched around in terms of how we formatted the podcast. I feel like we could call that preseason looking back at it. Yeah. Uh trying to figure things out and then you had the first the first year of blue wire season one and now we're into season two and that's how it's gonna go we are and we just determined all that uh live on the podcast for all live live on air for us for that you will hear in several hours (laughs) that is that is the type of uh that's the type of service that we are providing to you our adoring fans oh man adam you have brought us a story oh and do i listener. have do i have a story for you it's about a soccer player that likes to hold people's butts oh maybe not butts all the time but uh we'll say we'll say in the area in the same general area okay drew i have yeah. a story about one of the most famous soccer players to ever exist but i'm guessing that a lot of people probably won't be able to think of this person right off the bat because the reason he's one of the most famous soccer player soccer players ever is because he got super, super famous doing things other than soccer. Oh, man. Stories like this are the best. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this We're is going like a, a soccer story. <laughs> oh, it's, it's very much a soccer story, but uh, I think it's, it's one that you'll get the gist of very, very shortly. Okay. But I'm taking us back to England home of many a silly soccer story. Yes. And I'm taking us to the 1980s. Okay. Now, Drew, when you think of soccer in the 80s, and specifically English English football in the yeah. 1980s, yeah. who or what do you think of? Um, well, I wasn't alive in the 80s. Oh, sure. Um, but I know that Sir Alex Ferguson took over at Manchester United in like 88 or 89. And then back in, uh, I don't know, I guess the eighties were dominated kind of by Liverpool. Yeah, that is true. I have have to guess. Um, Yep. And what do you, what do you remember or what do you think of when you think of say, the quality of the game or how it was played. Oh, oh, I mean, if you're, I, I guess I wasn't understanding that you were asking me that specific. I was asking you both, both and, both and. Um, yeah, I mean, you could get away with murder on the pitch. <laughs> like, guys were getting um, to the point where they're closer to what modern athletes are today. They're bigger, stronger, faster. Um, than they were in like the 40s and 50s when international soccer was like becoming really huge. (laughs) People were Uh, smoking on the sidelines. Yeah, yeah. Um, So it was kind of getting to the point where it was dangerous. It was getting really dangerous because these dudes were getting so fast and so strong that they'd do all the same challenges that they did for as long as soccer existed. Um, Just the repercussions were like, a lot worse <laughs> because dudes were uh, breaking legs and uh, cracking skulls. Yeah. Well, I I'm glad that we have that good basis of understanding because that is, 
that's where we're going. That's what we're delving into today. <laughs> we're talking about one of the most famous soccer players to ever play, and he did have quite a successful career in England, although his playing career isn't the reason he's one of the most famous players ever. Okay. The, the Hollywood career that came after his playing days were over Ooh. was the real basis of how he became an international superstar. Oh, man. And it was built almost entirely around his tough guy, borderline insane on-field antics and persona. Oh, gosh. We're talking about Vinnie Jones. Oh, no. <laughs> Drew, we're doing an episode on Vinnie Jones. It's it. high time. It. It's high time we I'm talk about this. This is like episode 75. So yep. Yep. it's about time. That's right. The big hulking guy you, you've seen in movies like Snatch, uh, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, X-Men, The Last Stand, and Madagascar 3, Europe's Most Wanted. Vinnie Jones has built a reputation of being that random villain you see almost everywhere, thanks to his large frame and a face that looks meaner than his mother black than his mother's black pudding probably tasted. Well, you know he was <laughs> okay, excellent joke, first of all. <laughs> um, second is that you forgot to mention that he was um, the head coach in uh, She's the Man. She's the Man. One you, of my favorite Shakespeare adaptations. Uh, I believe he, he is. was the head coach for Illyri- Illyria. I- Illyria, yes. Yep. Um, yeah, that is precisely uh, correct. Uh, Illyria also being one of city. the settings... Uh, 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 setting a city in the Shakespearean play Twelfth Night, upon which the movie She's the Man, another yes. soccer, uh, another soccer classic, yes. is based upon. Truly, a beautiful film. Uh, some of Amanda Bynes's best work. Uh, certainly, so, certainly, Amanda Bynes and Channing Tatum are enchanting in the role. Vinnie Jones plays a very mean-looking English soccer coach, which is basically what he was in his playing career. Um, (laughs) Minus the coach part until the end of his career, which we'll get into. But before the glitz and glamour of life as a Hollywood character actor and guy who was in movies with WWE superstars, Vinnie Jones was a wee lad from Watford and Hertfordshire, England, and he loved his football Oh, yeah, absolutely. Inspired by 1966 England midfielder Alan Ball, who was the youngest member of England's World Cup winning squad, a young Vincent Peter Jones sought to emulate the tireless player who buzzed around the midfield, dishing out passes and scoring a fair few goals himself. He was a very good attacking midfielder, Alan Ball. But Vinnie Jones was not plucked from obscurity as a teenager or even earlier to be placed in a prestigious academy like so many people you hear of are today. Uh, Like most other things in his life, a soccer career was only going to happen through a whole lot of hard work and tenacity. He began his career. Yeah. Oh yeah. A lot of, a lot of grit and heart. (laughs) (laughs) Nuts and bolts. That's, that's what I'm talking about. He began his career with a Wealdstone FC, a semi-pro team playing outside of the football league. 
And if you thought the third and fourth divisions of the English game weren't very glamorous now, you should have seen it in 1984. <laughs> Gosh, yeah. Vinnie Jones was playing below that level. <laughs> uh, they were just a tiny, tiny kind of like Sunday league club. Uh, and <laughs> that was that was what he did. Yeah. He began with Wheelstone as a teenager. Uh, after a couple of seasons, he made a quick detour to Sweden where he experienced the glory of third division side IFK Holmsen and helped them win the third division title in the 1985-1986 season. That's so, exciting. So chalk won third division Swedish trophy to Mr. Vinnie Jones. All about the hardware. Uh, oh, there, there it is. Before <laughs> returning to Wealdstone. Non-league English soccer and the Swedish third division. That's where Vinnie Jones made his name. Proper football might <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness it is it is like the opposite of like the modern football story like, oh yeah absolutely it's it's totally like old school real real grindy kind of career path hey i mean he really did make a name for himself uh in a very unconventional way <laughs> sure <laughs> as you might expect being a 19-year-old playing on a semi-pro team and or in the Swedish third division is not exactly how you rake in the big bucks. No. Vinny needed a job. Yeah. So while, so while playing for Wealdstone, where he returned after just the one season in Sweden, Jones picked up a job as a construction worker. And specifically, he was a hod carrier. What, I'm pretty what, sure is, the, what is a hod yeah, so I'm pretty sure it's hod and not hoed. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. What uh, spelled? H. It literally. It's literally H O D. Pretty H-O-D. sure it's hod. Hod. Hoed. A hod is uh, this kind of like construction old school carrying device, which is like basically a couple of planks of wood attached to a pole that were used for carrying bricks from one place to another, um, and that's what he would do. He literally spent all day just like carrying bricks around construction site and other heavy things and then would go to trainings and or games. Can I can I just say something? If you saw Vinnie Jones on a construction site, you'd be like, this guy belongs here. Like he looks yeah. like <laughs> this is his career. This is his livelihood. I mean it was his livelihood during this time. But yes. I mean if you saw Vinnie Jones today uh 50 50 year old uh yeah yeah he's gotta be gotta be um yeah he would you could totally see him still working as yeah i would still say today i would still say today that vinnie jones is probably looks like a a construction worker if he was not wearing like a suit or something or other yes yes when in fact he's a very successful actor um rich most likely i i would hope you i would hope he's rich i don't know <laughs> nick nick cage isn't really rich nick cage actually gets mentioned in this story whoa oh go crazy really yeah, really it's not, it's not surprising that their paths cross so uh their paths crossed when nick click when nick cage was like the biggest superstar in hollywood kind of era crazy absolutely <laughs> yep. crazy uh vinnie jones is 56 i just looked it up so okay now we have that confirmation uh yes. we can move on with our lives so <laughs> vinnie jones non-league footballer construction worker brick carrier 
all of that stuff. It wasn't long after that, however, that Jones was getting his ticket to the big leagues. His play with Wheelstone and the fact that in that time, big clubs actually used to scour the lower leagues and non-league clubs for players instead of just importing them for wherever they, from wherever they felt like. feels like now if you need a player, it's automatically like, all right, let's figure out which Spanish or German player we can get. You know, yes. <laughs> like feels very rare now that it's like, oh, yeah, like a, a English guy in his 20s. That's that's what we really, really need. Um, the Ollie Watkins path. So if you Ollie if you Watkins. would the um, ledge, Ollie Ollie. Um, Ollie, Ollie Watkins, uh, he caught the attention of Wimbledon FC, oh, man. a club, the yep. Dons. The Dons before they got moved and became MK Dons, yes, and everybody revolted. And then AFC Wimbledon was born, and all the old Wimbledon fans became AFC Wimbledon fans. And if you're an MK Dons fan, you're a scablicker. Well, at least that's that's how I that's how I understand it. (laughs) Did you do a story on them? Did we do a story on them? I don't think so. Man, that might be a, that might be one worth. MK Don's here. MK Don's is probably a, a worth it story for Deadball yeah, Brothers to yeah, cover uh, with how just how crappy that that whole fandom was treated. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yes, Wimbledon FC caught sight of Vinnie Jones. They were a club from the southwest of London who are making waves in England. Wimbledon had only been elected to the Football League for the first time in their history in 1977. Oh, wow. In, in 1983, they won the fourth division. The following year, they finished second place in the third division, advancing to the second division of English football for the first time ever. Two years after that, they placed third in the second division, and at the time, that got you promoted to the first division. So in four years' time, they went from playing in the fourth division to playing in the top flight of English football for the very, very first time, which is crazy. Like it was one of those, like this, this doesn't happen type of things. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, did a very rich and wealthy, uh, oil person buy the club and, <laughs> uh, brought them up from the ashes that's, or like some billionaire tycoon that's like into real estate, <laughs> uh, take over, have a hostile takeover of a local club and just like, pump cash into the team insurance that's, success that's very much like the modern the modern soccer of how that story would go yeah um but that's not what happened with with wimbledon fc and and i'll get in a little bit more about how wimbledon fc uh actually kind of accomplished this in a minute here um but they were making waves it was like wow look at the rise of wimbledon but they also knew that life in the top division was going to be really, really hard, especially with that quick rise and knowing that they don't have vast reserves of cash to just bring in whoever they want to. So they were looking anywhere for players that could, I guess, bolster their roster. And yeah. Vinnie Jones fit their bill. They paid <laughs> Wheelstone 10,000 pounds for Vincent Jones. And okay. he became a Wimbledon FC midfielder for... Uh, even then a very very low cost yeah yeah ten thousand pounds is uh not a lot nope not not very much at all especially like 
in like for a first division signing, that's I don't know. That's just kind of crazy to me. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like 1980. What what is it? 19. 19- uh, this was 1986. Yeah. So I mean, it's like, yeah. Uh, Obviously, in- inflation will will take years, it. Thirty six years ago. But inflation won't even take it up to like six figures. <laughs> like, that's that's a well, yeah. It's now forty years ago, which is weird to think about. Yeah, it's pretty wild. That's that's weird. That's weird. <laughs> it was with Wimbledon FC that Vinnie Jones would make his most famous and infamous marks on the game and the players all around him. In fact, those marks were usually left on the players all around him. Okay. As Wimbledon's crazy gang took the first division by storm. And we are back for the second half of this story. Adam, you were just about to get into how Vinnie Jones and Wimbledon were about to tear up the Premier League? Yep. The Well, not the Premier League yet. Uh, the Premier yes, League. yes, yes, yes. The Premier League was still a couple years away from happening. It was still yeah. it was still just the, the first division in England. But yes, Wimbledon and Vinnie Jones were about to turn some heads and some ankles and some necks. <laughs> um, they were nicknamed the Crazy Gang, and they lived up to that in every sense of the word. So okay. we can't go much further talking about Vinnie Jones without just talking about Wimbledon FC and the Crazy Gang in general. I think a lot of people know that Vinnie Jones played soccer professionally. Yeah. And I think a lot of people also probably know that he was revered as a tough guy, a hard man. That's that sort of player. Yeah, look at the dude. But I don't know if a lot of the people that will listen to this podcast, or maybe they will, but who knows. Um, I don't know if they know all there is to know about the crazy gang and, and their reputation and what it was like to play them at this time that they were getting into the first division. Okay. Um, Gary Lineker once said that the best way to watch Wimbledon FC play was on CFAX, which was an early teletext service that would simply display text on your television screen of what was happening in games. Okay. Um, so he said the best way to watch them is to not watch them at all. It's just to get you the notes on the game, basically. Nice. Nice. Um, that should give you some context for the type of game Wimbledon liked to play at the time. In 1982. Yeah, not, not very pretty. Oh, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, no, my friend. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> in 1982, still in the fourth division at this time, manager David Bassett began demanding his team finish every game with at least 18 shots, 12 corners, and 12 long throw-ins. This meant that basically, as soon as Wimbledon got the ball... They were hoofing it forward as far as they could. That year was the year that Wimbledon won the fourth division with a total of 98 points. Oh my gosh. They basically played the worst soccer manageable and they crushed everybody with it. Over here in the States, we uh, call it barn ball. I don't know if they call it that in England, but. That is uh, the the colloquial term for this side of the pond. (laughs) That was only one half of Wimbledon's play style, however, as they were aggressive and nasty in transition and defense. They were loud. They were brash. They were unafraid, unafraid to end careers with their challenges, oh. and they wanted to make sure that playing them was always a miserable experience. 
Yeah. This even this even extended to their stadium, which was called, and I'm not making this up, Plow Lane. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Just like imagining all of all of the fans pulling up to Wimbledon Stadium like, in pickup trucks, tractors, uh um uh steamrollers. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. Just like a ton of heavy machinery. Uh, the stadium was old. It was kind of falling apart. The guest locker room was frequently filthy when opposing teams got there. Uh, Wimbledon even had tea service for opposing teams, which I guess was common at the time, but they would dump salt in the tea. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They would give the opposing teams that came to play them tea, but they would dump salt in it. Salty tea. Um, it's just like to, psychological. Like, at yeah, this point. Oh, it totally is. It yeah. totally is. They were playing that psychological warfare. It, yeah. It's not, it's pretty similar to, we did that episode on um, Cambridge. Um, and it's pretty sim- similar to them where they would like make sure that the, the opposing teams never had any hot water and they would give yes. them like waterlogged balls to train with before yes. games and stuff. Um, somewhat similar to, to that whole situation. It's kind of funny. Um, during this whole pandemic period, uh, Mayor and I have gotten into Survivor, and it's like a pretty common tactic <laughs> to just like wage psychological warfare on other people, like dumping out the <laughs> fire at night um, and like hiding food and stealing people's shoes and like stuff like that. That like we'll just put each other at e- put p- people at each other's throats, and it's like <laughs> I feel like it's kind of the same thing. It's, yeah, no, that's that is that's how Wimbledon really approached the game. Sneak in that I've been watching Survivor. Uh, just so everybody knows. Uh, just so everybody knows. Survivor. <laughs> <laughs> the crazy gang nickname stuck and became something of a badge of pride for Wimbledon players. And they kind of started to make sure that everybody lived up to it. Um young players entering the team were forced to prove themselves. Oh my uh, gosh. Which was, which is to say, they were hazed. Yeah, I was gonna say um, initiations, which is always never a good word. No, <laughs> and no. initiation is a bad word always. Yes, <laughs> initiations allegedly involved being dragged across snow-covered fields and also being tied to the roof of a car and being driven down a highway. What? <laughs> Yeah, you were you were tied to the roof of the car on the outside of the car, and they drove down a motorway with you strapped to the hood of the uh, to the roof of a car. Man, you could get away with anything in the eighties. You you really could. Um, as Vinnie Jones himself said, you either grew a backbone quickly or dissolved as a man, oh my gosh. <laughs> or just like went to go play for like the next town over his team literally anybody else (laughs) (laughs) anyone else oh my gosh um this quickly got out of hand (laughs) side note um apparently none of the other things before were out of hand but this next thing was out of hand okay um one wimbledon player was rumored to have been beaten severely and had his leg broken in pieces by striker john fashionu for disrespect what yeah did, that uh that apparently occurred. Did that striker get like banned or don't anything? think so. Or Do like not think so. <laughs> nope. Uh Jeez. 
as far as I can tell, the 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 player's name was never revealed, and I don't think that the team punished him. Okay. Um, because cool. it was just kind of like he uh, was boys he was boys. he was he was a veteran presence. He actually got capped a couple times for England, John nice. Fashnu. Yeah. Um, and and he was like kind of one of those like this is like heart and soul of the team type of guys. And like gotcha. this is what the team is all about. He's, got, he's just got the the leadership qualities that uh, every team needs. Crazy gang, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Oh this gosh. this was the team that Vinnie Jones stepped into, and he relished every second of it. Yeah, he looks like he would. <laughs> Literal brick carrier Vinnie Jones is a big fan. <laughs> this guy was At- a construction worker three weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> and now he's playing Manchester United. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking oh of which... After scoring against Manchester United in just his second game as a professional soccer player, Vinnie Jones, yeah, that happened. He was 21 years old. Vinnie Jones soon gained the reputation for being a midfield enforcer who never saw a horror challenge he didn't like. Mm -hmm. Studs up challenges, flying elbows, literal punches thrown when a referee wasn't looking. Jones was an an utter terror on the field. Yeah, no uh no VAR to deal with. Nope, uh, not even a little bit. I oh. I literally watched a, a just a compilation of like <laughs> of Vinnie Jones's worst tackles and there was one game where I think he was playing Sunderland, they were they were red and white vertical stripes. So it was either Sunderland or Sheffield United or one of those Stoke, Maybe. one of those one of those red and white striped teams yeah. where Vinnie Jones like makes a clearance that a person is like making a play on and he clears the ball and like a split second afterwards, the player kind of like goes like right by him as he tries to make the challenge. He like swivels and straight up punches him in the back of the head. (laughs) Like just like the ball is gone and it's like a, like a, like a half second after the ball is gone, he just winds up and punches the guy in the back of the head. I mean, like, Everybody can see it, you know, except for the ref who has his back turned. You, yep. you, you'd think that at a certain point, the FA would put like people in the stands just to watch. You would and, think and be like, "Hey, Vinny just punched another dude. Like, time to send him off." You know, like that's, but, that's how you fix that. But at the time, for a lot of these things, I mean, obviously, like throwing punches wasn't allowed and was going to get you sent off most of the time yeah um player but refs even if they saw a lot of the stuff like that like elbows and like bad slide tackles and all that stuff not much uh, in it ref, re, yeah no referees were just letting <laughs> players get away with anything and uh-huh. so many challenges that would get vinnie jones sent off by today's standards they he wasn't even yellow carded for them like yeah that's that's the deal. That's what was happening. And that was the the ecosystem in which Vinnie Jones and his whole persona could just thrive. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Wimbledon uh. were galvanized by Jones's play and also the likes of Fashionu and Laurie Sanchez. And rather than going right back down to the second division, like most people predicted they would when they saw Wimbledon play in the second division, oh, yeah. they're all long balls and just like they play they play awful, 
awful soccer. They're going to get relegated immediately. Yeah, they said they can't cut it. Yeah. Wimbledon finished their first season in the top flight in sixth place. Jeez. That is is impressive. Yeah. That's – yeah, Sheffield almost did that last season. Sheffield in the Premier League. Um, And now look at him. And now look at him. (laughs) Dead last. Yikes. Uh, With a win over um, second place in the Premier League, Manchester United. (laughs) I I wasn't going to say it. I wasn't going to bring it up. But since you brought it up, yeah, that did happen. (laughs) It's okay. We just won 9-0. Yeah, on a thanks to a a weird a weird like first minute red card like nineteen year olds first or second game and then just a challenge and then just a complete non red card like Benderak should not have been sent off. Well, I mean that was like what in the ninety second minute or ninety third minute something like that. Yeah, the the game was over. The game was over. Whatever. It happens, yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. but yeah, Wimbledon finished their first season in the top flight in sixth place. They played literally like a pack of angry donkeys in a lot of ways, <laughs> but the style was undeniably effective. Even if just because teams entered games with Wimbledon hoping they wouldn't get hurt, like teams came scared. That was that was the attitude. Some yeah. some weren't so lucky. Um, in 1988, Vinnie Jones came sliding in on Tottenham legend Gary Stevens mm. uh, when Stevens was already on all fours trying to play the ball out from his feet. Okay. Jones just obliterated his knee with his studs. Uh, Stevens did play a couple more seasons, but he never really recovered from that knee injury, and it forced him to retire. Um, so that is terrible. That, that, is, that is like the type of – that's the type of play we're talking yeah. about. Yeah. The Wimbledon train, however, kept rolling right along, much to the hate of literally everyone else in the top flight, but Wimbledon didn't care. They were going to go and they were going to try to win by any means necessary, and they meant it. In 1988, yeah, I was say, why not? Oh, yeah, no, I mean like it's working and nobody's stopping us, so why wouldn't you do it? Yeah, exactly. In 1988, that that attitude brought them to the cusp of greatness. Against all odds, the team that was elected to the Football League just a decade before found themselves in the FA Cup final against Liverpool. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Now, according to Jones, (laughs) the crazy gang was so worked up the night before the final that their manager gave them each a hundred pounds and told them to go to a pub and take the edge off, (laughs) which is just a completely phenomenal thing to tell a team to do before the biggest game of their life. How many pints can a hundred pounds get you back in 1988? So much. Okay. Maybe he gave like several people a hundred pounds. Like, I don't know if he gave them each a hundred pounds. I might've read that wrong, but the, the, the story still stands that he gave them money and just told them to go to the pub. That's incredible. I wish more managers would do that (laughs) today. This very day. (laughs) Now they're Uh, like, uh, uh, here's a, here's 20 bucks for one superfood smoothie for one yerba mate. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) 
maybe maybe throw a little bit of a CBD in there to to calm you, oh, calm yeah. your nerves the day before That's the game. Natural. Yeah. Na- yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, by contrast, Liverpool were expected to win and win handily, and their players were kind of just bored at the idea of playing Wimbledon in the final. So they were at the pub drinking because they weren't taking it seriously. Wimbledon they were not at. They were the Liverpool boys were not at the pub. They just were just kind of like, eh, whatever. We're playing Wimbledon. We'll win. Well, that's why I'm saying they were at the pub. Oh, oh, oh they're oh, like, oh, it doesn't even matter. Like, let's just go party because we're. Still I don't. Bored. I don't think that they. I don't. I never saw anything to suggest that they partied before before the match. Just yeah, that Wimbledon uh, was definitely at the pub. <laughs> yeah, Liverpool doesn't party anyways. <laughs> Liverpool, they don't party. I know for a fact they don't party. <laughs> Good reference. <laughs> the FA Cup's final started like you'd expect any Wimbledon any Wimbledon game to start with Vinnie Jones two-footing the hell out of Liverpool's Steve McMahon less than a minute into the game. <laughs> oh gosh. Mr. Jones was not carded for the challenge yep. and the tone was set. Wimbledon was going to make this the worst day of Liverpool's life. Oh my gosh. Despite their abundance of talent, Liverpool couldn't break down Wimbledon, and it was Wimbledon who took the lead in the first half via a corner kick and a header from Laurie Sanchez. This being Wimbledon, however, something was going to give, and eventually, in the second half, Liverpool were awarded a penalty. Up stepped John Aldridge to take said penalty, and opposing him was Wimbledon goalkeeper David Besant, who stood firmly planted in the middle of the goal, not moving at all during John Aldridge's run-up before diving to his left and making the save. Ah. The first penalty to be saved in an FA Cup final. Really? I'm pretty sure that is what I read. That was the first time in an FA Cup final, probably during like regular time, maybe not during if like a penalty shootout. Yeah. Um, but like during regular time that a penalty was saved, I'm pretty sure that was the first one. It's still pretty crazy. Yep. Uh, Jones revealed after the match that Wimbledon had watched just an absolute ton of tape on Liverpool and specifically a lot on Aldridge's penalty habits uh-huh. and learned that he liked to go to the goalkeeper's left, his right, when goalkeepers kind of stayed rooted. And uh, huh. Jones said, Jones said, we'd watch so many videos. If Dave Besant hadn't have gone the right way, I'd have killed him, which... <laughs> I am afraid that he might have meant it literally. He probably Uh, probably did. (laughs) He probably did. (laughs) Wimbledon FC held on to the 1-0 score line and lifted the FA Cup trophy. The first, and to my knowledge, only major trophy in the club's history. The player that lifted the trophy was David Besant who became only the second goalkeeper at the time to ever be the lifter of the trophy for his team. The first one, I forget his name, but it occurred in 1875. Uh, history does not remember him. What a weird, what a weird stat. Just a weird, <laughs> a another, weird fact. another weird fun fact I found. Very strange. <laughs> and what, what is this podcast if not just a series of fun facts? It's, it is, it is true. Oh but, man, what a, what a, um, the epitome of a hard-fought English win, you know. <laughs> yes, I mean, this absolutely. Is stuff that uh, Sean Dyche dreams about at night. Oh, like he's like 
breaking legs, score a goal, <laughs> and then just park the bus. Like 11 dudes behind the ball at all times. <laughs> In, instead of counting sheep, Sean Dyche uh, counts horror challenges. <laughs> trying to fall asleep. Oh, my gosh. Right after he watches the movie Up, of course, um, which was my favorite bit of the news cycle during this week. Did you see that? I watched a clip. I saw that he was really into normal <laughs> normal people. Uh, yeah, he loved normal people. He, he talked that, about how, how much he loved brilliant. Up. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, man. So funny. <laughs> what a what an exceedingly regular dude. What a, what a English what a just a really English guy. <laughs> yep, absolutely. It wasn't long after that triumphant FA Cup run and the kind of the the bursting onto the scene of Wimbledon FC that Wimbledon began to crumble a little bit as they started to sell off some of the core players. Some new players didn't really work out. People weren't buying into the crazy gang idea as much anymore. And when Wimbledon lost that edge, that's when they started to lose their competitive edge as well. Yeah. Uh, which, I mean, which makes sense. Yes. Um, I mean, they weren't good soccer players. They were just like, they're killing a, people. A they're few of them dudes a, down. A bunch of them were good soccer players. I mean, it was yeah. just that they chose to be like, just the uh, like insane on the field. Like yeah. we're just going to make your life absolute hell for ninety minutes. This every is going to be the messiest game that you've ever played in your life. Yeah, <laughs> and and because they didn't have, I mean, like they didn't have the money or the resources to bring in the best players ever. But because they played like that, that style worked for the type of players that they could get. And when that went away, so did their success. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, Wimbledon sold Vinnie Jones to Leeds United for £650,000. Pretty good return on investment. Oh, a very tidy piece of business (laughs) if you look over the course of Vinnie Jones' Wimbledon career. Uh, That's a net of £640,000. Math. Um, Math. We got it. He also played for Sheffield United, Chelsea. Uh, he went back to Wimbledon again for a season after Chelsea and finally spent uh, some time as a player coach for QPR. I shuddered to think of what Vinnie Jones' player coach was like. <laughs> He's like, um, you know what? Put me in. I put myself yeah. in. <laughs> He's put, he, he did. That's, yeah. that's what he did. Oh, he put himself gosh. in. Uh, before retiring in 1998 at 34 years of age. He also appeared nine times for Wales, who he represented courtesy of one of his grandparents. I was going to say, because he's not, he wasn't like born in Wales or anything. Nope. He's English. His parents are English. uh, And three of his grandparents are English, but one of his grandparents was born in Wales. And that meant he could play for Wales. Shout out to grandparents. Yeah, shouts out grandparents. And at the time, uh, at the time, England was pretty stacked in the midfield, and so they weren't giving him a look. And so Wales was like, "Hey, you want to come play for us?" And Finney Jones said, "Yeah, I do." <laughs> um, speaking speaking of parents and grandparents and playing for other countries, um, uh, just a quick sidebar: somebody made the joke on Twitter um, because apparently Joe Biden just announced that he was halting 
um, the pullout of U.S. troops from Germany, and somebody was just like, massive news for the United States men's national team. <laughs> so true. So true. It is a breeding ground for uh, United States men's national team talent. And we, sure. and, we do, and we do mean the words breeding ground quite literally. That is, <laughs> that is what is occurring. That is what has occurred. Uh, uh, sorry about all that. Sorry, sorry everybody. Um, it was right before he retired, however – that Jones was tapped by a young rookie filmmaker by the name of Guy Ritchie uh, to star in his film Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels as an enforcer named Big Chris. Heck yeah. <laughs> Big Chris. Big Chris. <laughs> the film and the performance by Jones alongside other impressive acting debuts by people like Jason Statham, fun facts. Yeah. Garnered praise in the UK press, uh, even garnered him a couple of awards nominations by different things. Um, and he quickly followed that up with star turns as scary, brooding, and otherwise brutal characters uh, that in movies that released in the next couple of years. First in Guy Ritchie's second film, Snatch, where he played Bullet Tooth Tony. And in the same year, he also starred as the almost completely silent character Sphinx in the movie Gone in 60 Seconds yes. starring Nicolas Cage and Angelina Jolie. I didn't want to I didn't want to ruin it um but I was as soon as you said Nick Cage was in a movie with Vinnie Jones I'm like I'm pretty sure that Vinnie Jones was in Gone in 60 Seconds. So. Yeah, so he's the guy uh, Gone in 60 Seconds if you have not seen the the cinematic classic Oh, uh man. listeners uh is a movie where uh nicholas cage is a is a car thief and he is stealing a bunch of cars uh to get his brother out of trouble because his brother took a job for a guy to steal cars and messed it up and they were going to kill him and nick cage comes out of car stealing retirement to <laughs> get the get the band back together and save his little brother and um Sphinx is like their like their big muscle guy and he doesn't he barely says anything throughout the entire movie and then at the end of the movie he has this whole like long kind of like very deep soliloquy that occurs <laughs> and everybody kind of just like listens to him and like it's the first thing he says the entire movie and then uh Nick Cage is like I thought you were from Cal- I thought you were from Long Beach or, or something like that cuz Vinnie Jones is just is just talking in his normal, like very English accent throughout the entire thing. And, and Vinnie Jones just like shrugs and swigs a beer. And that's like his like last bit in the movie. <laughs> what a legend. Absolutely. What a legend. <laughs> but, but yeah, he, he basically built this kind of like star career as like a villain or just tough guy character actor in a ton of different movies based on, based on these first couple of roles that he got plucked out to do. And none of that would have happened without his reputation as a hard man and like terrifying presence on the soccer field. Um, that was the whole reason that guy Ritchie brought him in because he looked so intimidating <laughs> and he just kind of went headlong into an acting career from there on out. Um, over the course of his playing career, some, some quick stats, the pertinent stats for Vinnie Jones, he was sent off 13 times uh, a lot. That's a lot. over the course of his career for a long time. I don't believe he holds this record anymore, 
Um, but he did have the first and second fastest uh, bookings in the football league ever. Um, wow. The first one, he set the record at three seconds into a game getting a booking. <laughs> Uh, he got a he got a yellow card at three at the three second mark, and about a year after that, I believe that was in ninety one or ninety two, uh, mm-hmm. and a year after that, in a game against Manchester City, he followed it up by getting booked five seconds into a game. That's impressive. That, that yeah, honestly might be harder to do than scoring a goal in like it's the to get of a game. It's to get multiple like to get booked multiple times in your career within ten seconds of play. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Vinnie Jones did that. God. But still, to this day, it's none of those images that sum up Vinnie Jones and his soccer career. The image that sums up Vinnie Jones is that of him, his face in a full snarl, looking down across the field while a young star for Newcastle United by the name of Paul Gascoigne is yelling and grimacing in pain because Vinnie Jones has grabbed him by the junk and is squeezing as hard as he can while he walks past him. Oh, man. Gascoigne was only 20 at the time and was being touted at the, as the next big thing in English football, which he did end up being the next big thing. Yeah. Um, but before a Wimbledon-Newcastle game, Wimbledon players came back to the locker room from warming up uh, with reports that, people were throwing flowers and chocolates at Gascoigne as he was on the pitch doing some like warm up stuff. Uh-huh. Um, and Jones hadn't gone out onto the field yet. And he later told talk sport, something snapped in me. So I never went out. I stretched in the de- dressing room and I am building up and building up. And I thought when I see him, I'm going to kill him. Um, for, for Paul's part, for Gaza, as he was affectionately known, uh, he remembered at one point that Vinnie Jones was just on him and hounding him. And Paul looked at him and told him that like, Hey, Wimbledon has like, you have the ball right now. Like (laughs) Wimbledon, it was Newcastle didn't even have the ball. There was no reason to be guarding, guarding him whatsoever. And Jones replied, I ain't playing football today and neither are you. Oh my gosh. Which is surely one of the most terrifying sentences I can think up. Oh, what a quote for the ages. I ain't playing football today <laughs> and neither are you. Oh it, my gosh. It wasn't long after that that uh, Vinnie Jones committed the the infraction. Uh, I'm sure there, it is an infraction to, uh, to grab another player by the junk while they're playing. Um but I don't think any referees noticed it, and I don't believe it was called as a foul. Several photographers caught Jones in the act, however. Yeah. And it remains one of the perfect summaries of Jones's career. Jeez. Hard to a fault and crazy to the last. Yeah, like psychopathic. <laughs> yep. That's Vinnie Jones. And that yeah. is the story of Vinnie Jones one of the craziest players to ever play and the absolutely bonkers superstar career he built off of it. Um, some sources for the story real quick. We have Will Sharp for these football times, Tom McMahon also for these football times and Damian Mannion for talk sport. Man, what a, what a way to kick off season two of dead ball. Season dose. 
season dose. <laughs> uh, thank you, Adam, for for telling us, walking us through the career of Vinnie Jones um, from construction worker to professional soccer player to Hollywood actor. To what? Hollywood to movie star. <laughs> to movie star. I mean, like, that's one of the most unlikely uh, career paths, I think, that has ever happened, maybe. Yep, possibly. Um, but, I mean, the perfect story for Dead Ball Bros. So, thank you once again. And thank you, listener, for listening to this podcast. Um, we were gone for a while, and we're back now, and so we are just so happy to be back recording talking to you talking with you um and we hope that you're enjoying this podcast as well so if you want to support the podcast you can give us a rating or review on apple podcast five stars would be super dope That'd uh, be awesome you can write a little review maybe a little haiku review Ooh. haiku it's been a while since we've had one of those so might be a, cool. a raku a raku <laughs> you can which follow- is a, a great name and not a bad joke at all yeah, thank you totally not a bad joke totally not <laughs> you can follow us on social media at deadball pod on twitter and instagram you can also find us on facebook if you have any questions or concerns or any stories that you want us to tackle in the second season you can email us at deadballpod at gmail.com and i think i think a second season a good second season uh uh resolution for us is to be better about answering people's emails yeah, you know what? We should uh, we should set some rules for ourselves. We should do that because <laughs> we're not good at it. No, we are not. But we but we vow to be better. All right. Yeah. New New Year, New Season, New Us. New New Us, New Us, totally. <laughs> oh man, we have a a Teespring store where you can buy merch. We're hoping to have some new merch at some point. Um, we've kind of tossed around the idea of it. So. Yeah, we got some stuff. We got some stuff cooking in the kitchen right now. So if you like the stuff you see on the Teespring store, I would say go ahead and pull the trigger on those purchases sooner rather than later because I don't know how much longer that Teespring store will be up. I think that that's it. I think that's it too. I think we've I think we've covered everything that we need to cover. Good job, us. Way Let's to go. go. Let's go. I'm fired yeah. up. So thank you again so much for listening to this episode of Deadball Brothers. Once again, my name is Adam Whitaker-Snavely. And I'm Drew. And we love you very, very much, very, very platonically. And we will see you soon. <laughs>